Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Phil, it's Rose. Rose? Your sister, my son, he's coming to Hollywood. It's a big week. It's a very big week. We are making history. We are? (laughs) We are. Uh, Where are we making? We are going to be, I mean, just little tiny history. I believe we're going to be discussing something we've never discussed on this podcast before. What? Woody Allen. Okay, but before we get to that, we have much, much bigger fish to fry here. Well, don't tell Woody Allen that. Well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't listen to any critique anyway, but... The four-time Oscar winner, Woody Allen, okay. Okay, McLeod's Daughters, 15-year yes. anniversary. This is your show, yes. the one you told me to watch. And remember, I hibernated for five days, <laughs> told everybody I was sick at the office, <laughs> terribly sick. And I just didn't speak to anybody and just watched the entire thing. A magnificent series. By the way, 15 years ago, an entire film about women running a um, cattle ranch. In the outback of Australia. I know. Unheard of. So Amazing. So happy 15th anniversary. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I just read this great article about Homeland, next season of Homeland. And remember, I complained last season that they let too much time go by before they, you know, it's almost like a year. I read your written review on ScreenThoughts.net. I know. And and now they're not going to launch the next season of Homeland until January 2017, which is three months later even. So it's more than a year will have passed. But guess what it's about? I think I haven't seen it since season two. So do tell. Catch me up. Okay. Well, I'm not going to catch up to all the seasons, but season six is the one that's launching. And it's going to take place in the United States of America. And they're shooting it in New York. And it's about the first woman president being inaugurated, and I guess some things are going to happen around it. Like some scary things? It's going to focus on the two-month period between Election Day and the swearing-in of a new president. And which, by the way, they point out is a strange period in America because there's 72 days between when someone's elected, and it's not exactly clear who's really in charge. I mean, obviously the president, the sitting president's in charge, but... Yeah, he has to very much take into consideration anything he does and how it affects the incoming president. But I think it could be a really interesting, uh, interesting season. An interesting phenomenon. Unlike Britain, where you can go have breakfast, come back, and they've got a new prime minister. Yeah, who's who's whistling on his way out the door. <laughs> no less. Yeah. Okay, so now we're going to get to. Yes, Woody Allen. We're going to do Woody Allen's latest film, Cafe Society. It was originally conceived in my mind as a novel on film. I wanted it to be a book on film. So when you read a book, you come in contact with a lot of different characters. You follow them over a few years, and and you see some and then others and back to those. And and I tried to give it that structure. Unrequited love kills more people in any year than tuberculosis. Don't you want to try me? Listen, I'm so lonely. I would have been happy just to talk, but now I'm even too tired for that. You, You like jazz music? At two in the morning. At any time in the morning. Okay, this is his 40-something film, okay? Yes. And it's the first one to be... Set in L.A. and New York? Oh, set in the 1930s? No. To have Woody Allen as a narrator? No. To Woody start Allen's narrated Eisenberg. a lot of his films. <laughs> okay. Um, it's the first one to open the Cannes Film Festival? Also not true. No. No, I give up. And you know, I'm, I just can't believe the last few weeks I've been able to stump you so easily. <laughs> It's actually the first so film modestly. to be shot. That's me, modesty. Yes. Oh, to be shot know. digitally? 
Well, I just gave it to you. you I can't know. Ta- you can't I know. take credit I like for it. I like partial you. credit. Give it me some is, and I credit. think you can really tell the difference. Can you? Did you think so? I actually liked the cinematography. I love. Well, you know why you liked it? It's Vittorio Storaro's work. Right. For first time he's used him, and we're talking about The Conformist, Last Tango in Paris, Apocalypse Now, The Last Emperor, Reds. I mean, an amazing cinematographer. He made Woody, people's skin glow. But Woody Allen never changes the people he works with. Why did he do that? Do you have any idea? I looked and I couldn't find it. Was it a budget thing? I can't imagine he'd be cheaper. And yet digitally has got to be cheaper. You know, he just, uh, you know, he's been like, he uses Juliet Taylor, for example, to, Mm -hmm. for his, um, casting by casting and he doesn't make changes, but nobody has said, I looked it up and I couldn't find it anywhere. So if anybody knows what happened there, let us know. Maybe he left the choice up to Vittorio. Yeah, exactly. Did you like it? The movie? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I went in with a major handicap given to me by you. Another little personal gift wrapped in a bow by Hollister. What was that? Your dislike of Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> I don't like him. And he now has a hunchback. What's with the hunchback? Did you Thank see that? Thank you for saying that. My inner yogi, the whole film, I wanted to reach through the screen that and just That man is going to only be able to shoulders. play, you know, the, the witch in, in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs who delivers it, the, the, <laughs> the apple. Like, he, what happened? He's got to stand up straight. Something's wrong, you know, I mean, majorly wrong. He was one of the younger characters in the movie, and it's Ugh. true. He has got to work on his posture. But, you know, two weeks ago when we were talking about indignation and we were both raving about Logan Lerman and you compared Logan Lerman playing a young Jewish guy to how Jesse Eisenberg would have played it. It was like you were looking into a crystal ball. By the way, giving total credit to Logan, who I thought nailed it so much better. So the whole time I'm watching Cafe Society, I kept thinking, I wish Juliet Taylor had casted Logan Lerman. I know he was busy, but I okay, would have well, loved Woody to Allen see him play talks the part. About, he said that there was no question when it came to Jesse's part that he picked Jesse because he said that he thinks Jesse's one of the great actors of his generation. And he can play anything in that age group with conviction. I thought that was interesting. Well, that's interesting, but you know when we were talking about him before and you said he was good in the social network because he was supposed to be playing somebody unlikable. And even in our podcast about the end of the tour, again, yes. he wasn't supposed to be likable. Well, here, he was jealous, so jealous people are never totally likable. Right, and here I felt like the script had to keep reminding us that he was a charming young man because he was not vibing charming at all in yeah. my mind. Well, I don't think he can vibe. I, I, I was surprised. I, I don't... I don't see him as well cast in that role, but so you didn't like him, but did you, what did you think? I mean, there was a lot of arm flailing and he certainly did the neurotic thing, but it was like a caricature of Woody Allen. And I have to say, I think it's very interesting that the biggest Woody Allen box office hit ever was. It was gotta be, what's, what's it gotta be? The first one. Midnight in Paris. Oh, it was? And yeah. I think this is very interesting because Owen Wilson playing the Woody Allen lead, I thought was an inspired choice. Oh, he is. He's much, yeah. And yet the rest of the cast, I really liked. And I think to truly pull off Woody Allen in all his Woody Allen-ness, you need somebody who really can have a light touch with the drama. And I think Steve Carell is a perfect example. Someone where his improv comedy background, I thought stood him in great stead to play yeah, the character that he played yeah. in this. Hello, come in, sit. Christ, man, it's all about ego. This whole town runs on ego. 
Parker Posey, Corey Stoll. These were all great actors who have a very light touch. I can't say that Jesse Eisenberg has that light touch. Wait, what about Kristen Stewart? Now, I know you weren't looking forward to seeing her because you're not a huge fan, but I love her. And didn't you think she was wonderful? I thought they were very mismatched. And I don't know if they were supposed to just be so blatantly mismatched. It was interesting that it reteamed Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart, who were together in the 2009 film Adventureland, which also starred Ryan Reynolds, who's the husband of Blake Lively. Exactly, who was also in the film. And I thought Blake did a good job, didn't you think? I was very happy to see that she has survived the sharks. Although I do think that's kind of a stroke of Woody Allen-ness, that he thinks someone like Jesse Eisenberg can just, you know, have Kristen Stewart and Blake Lively. It's kind well, because, of like... Well, by the way, they, he can because that guy is Woody Allen. I mean... Well, it's like when Woody Allen played Woody Allen and everyone says, I love you, and he was trying to decide between Goldie Hawn and Julia Roberts. <laughs> I thought, okay. Which, by the, yeah, I yeah, guess when you well, write the screenplay and you, you know, direct it, I guess you're allowed to just cast yourself in that part. You, you, you can do whatever you want if you write it, absolutely. But I think his casting is always interesting. Now, interesting, I listened to an interview with Kristen Stewart, Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Woody Allen, you don't get to read the script before you accept to be in it. You know, he, he asks you to be in a film and you have no idea. You say yes or no, mm-hmm. and you don't know what you're playing. And so he asked her to play the lead in this. And she answered back and said, I can't accept a part that I haven't read because I don't know if I can do it. Like, I need to believe that I can be that person. I really believe in being that person. So I'm so sorry, but I can't say yes until I've read the part. So what they did was they brought her in and she read a couple of scenes for the part, but she didn't get to read the whole part. And then he gave her the part and then gave her the script. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think that's sort of funny. And the other thing she said is when they were talking about how he doesn't give direction Mm-hmm. And he doesn't, he doesn't rehearse and he doesn't give direction. It's sort of like, just go do it. And she said, you know, she thinks that she really loved working with him. And she said she also, one of the reasons she loved working with him is because she does want to own the part and she wants to play it the way she feels it. And she thinks that because he writes the entire script, he's already in his mind's eye cast the person that, and so he doesn't want to direct them because he's already sees them playing it the way he believes they'll play it. And he just doesn't worry about it. You know, once mm-hmm. the script is done, it's done. And he also doesn't mind if they improvise at all. In fact, he encourages them to. So I thought it was, you know, you got to give him a couple, you know, he's a very interesting director and writer, don't you think? And a lot of his actors have gotten a lot of accolades for playing well, the parts and he's written. Lo- everybody wants to work with them once at least, and, right? You know, look at... Diane Keaton. He wrote Annie Hall for her, probably the best role she's ever had. Although I did love Something's Gotta Give. Mira Sorvino wins for Miney Aphrodite. Kate Blanchett won for Blue Jasmine. Although, again, I think you can argue that that movie would have been better had it had that light touch. I think it was missing there. This is my nephew, Bobby. Howard's a two-time Academy Award winner. Wow, congratulations. Thank you. You've never heard of me. I'm a writer. Did you like Kristen Stewart's performance? I did very much. And not only that, I, I, you know, I've seen her in a number of things. And I think she's a great actor. I really do. And I think when she described how she saw this person, that she said she was somebody who doesn't think too deeply who, you know, just sort of rolls through, whereas just the Jesse's part, you know, he was a thinker. 
you know, which was one of the reasons they they were mismatched. Yeah. Was he a thinker or was he just neurotic? Uh, well, I think he was both, you know, he, you know, overanalyzed his own, you know, his own position or whatever, but, um, I didn't, I, I thought he's one of those characters that gets extra credit where actually he's just kind of a dog in nerd's clothing. Well, even the way he went out there and sat there for three weeks waiting for something to happen and doing nothing other to get a job than wait for his uncle to give him one. Yes, you know, exactly. Waiting to yeah, be the benefit I didn't, of that, nepotism. Well, look, I believe in nepotism. <laughs> that wasn't the problem. The problem was that he really had no free thinking initiative. And when he, you know, he, then his brother gave him a job when he went back. I mean, like, it's not like this guy was a mover shaker on his own. And he no was question, only choosing, but. do I choose LA or New York? Where are the girls prettier? It's not like he was driven yeah. by some deep force. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I just heard an interview recently um, on a podcast, actually, for the New Yorker magazine does great podcasts. And it was an interview with Paul Simon talking about how he writes music. And um, and then somebody said, you know, well, I know that one of your um, heroes was Elvis Presley. What was it like to hear him sing Bridge Over Troubled Water in person, which I know you did? And then he went on to say, who else, you know, what are your other heroes? And then um, Paul Simon said, well, you know, I Mickey Mantle was a hero because I only cared about the Yankees. And then Elvis Presley was a hero, not because of his music, but also because of the girls. And then John F. Kennedy was a hero. And he said, but really nothing's changed because the three things that matter to me are still the same, music, girls, and the Yankees. Hmm. And so 50 years later... That's why they're still my heroes. And, you know, and I, and all I could think of was Woody Allen, you know, Woody Allen too would say, you know, he was, you know, jazz, you know, music, jazz is what he cares about Mm -hmm. women, you know, you know, and then death, you know, death is his, his big, his big fear. But, um, did you have a favorite biographical themes for sure? Oh, you know, I think that's how he gets rid of his angst, but tell me, did you have a favorite line? Cause there was one line in there that I thought was awesome. It's very interesting. I, I'd have to say the funniest line, it didn't get the loudest laugh in the theater, but I think just as a standalone line, it was the funniest, is about the unexamined life. Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living, but the examined one is no bargain. Uh, um, yes? And that brother-in-law, the whole movie, I kept thinking, where have I seen him? Where have I seen him? Where have I seen him? He plays Harry, the book agent in the affair oh oh well there you go mm-hmm. huh. okay but you're now going to ask me what yes, my favorite line Hollister, what okay. was your favorite line of the movie oh my gosh that's so funny you should ask that <laughs> um okay i think this is a great line life is a comedy written by a sadistic comedy writer did you think that was an amazing line it's very woody allen now the other thing is when they first flash back to the his his mother in 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 their in their apartment. All I could think of is Brighton Beach memoirs over and over again. Every mm-hmm. time they went there, I'm like, oh my gosh, Neil Simon's going. I wrote that already. Yep. You know, I mean, he does have that Neil Simon. I wonder if they've ever had lunch. You know, I'd love to sit there at the table and listen to the two of them. That would be a very interesting conversation to sit in on. And I have to give it to the people who did the costumes. When Jesse Eisenberg arrives in L.A. and he's always wearing brown and beige and everyone in L.A. is wearing white. The clothing, he really stood apart as somebody who's just gotten off the plane from Brooklyn. Even though, didn't you think Kristen Stewart in the first half kind of looked like a French maid? I thought she looked like an innocent 
Is that what was okay, going on? Okay, and the other the thing is, you know who hair? I think she, you know who she reminded me of? Jodie Foster. No, in his real life, we're talking about his real life. The way she stood there with her schoolgirl outfit on. I'm not going to go there, Hollister. Okay. <laughs> well, by the way, she, you know, I mean, it, you know, the other thing is she's extremely younger. And the one thing I'm going to say, and we don't have to talk about it, but I think it has to be mentioned, is Woody Allen's putting the Errol, Flynn, Errol Flynn's desire for very, very young girls, um, putting that in that movie, is that, a, is that a moment in time when he's saying, I'm going to say and do whatever I want? I mean, I think it was an interesting interesting play out and we don't have to talk about it but I do want to say that it didn't go unnoticed by me or some of the other critics too well it's hard to say if that was Woody Allen talking about that versus a line where Steve Carell is really tormented about the the thought of leaving his wife and Jesse Eisenberg's like who is it who is it is it some famous actress and he goes no I like women with substance I'm not a superficial guy and I thought maybe that's Woody Allen talking about his real self, and the other is yet more criticism by Woody Allen of Hollywood in general. Because the I movie... That, I hope that, that... I hope you're right. I hope you're... You know, and you're always the one who's much kinder than I am. I hope you're right. But I thought there was a little F.U. in there somewhere, too. Love is not rational. You fall in love. You lose control. Whoa. Is that good or bad? No answer is also an answer. Ah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely, it seemed very autobiographical in its overtones yeah. in terms of wanting to be someone who By played way, a musical instrument. By the way, what movie instrument. has he ever done that isn't? Well, Match Point. I can't really see Woody Allen being a tennis player. Although he did play tennis in yeah, Annie Hall. About? Yes, he did. Yes. So, you know. He's not a tennis player. He maybe just thinks Vicky he Christina Barcelona. Yeah. But also, tennis is a very wasp-oriented sport. I mean, it, you know, started in England way back when. And, you know, at that point in time, Woody Allen was trying to, ju- you know, was trying to find his wasp roots in there somewhere. You know, there was some Does piece he have of him that it. Yeah. He- no, of course not. <laughs> but, that, but that doesn't matter. He wished he did. So he was trying to find them. That's certainly the Annie Hall reference of playing tennis when he clearly couldn't play, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, now would you recommend people see it? If you like Woody Allen, it's definitely very much a Woody Allen package, and it's not one of his weakest movies by far. Um, If you like Jesse Eisenberg, I would say, you know, go see it. It's definitely, if you like that sensibility of his, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I don't think it's Annie Hall. No, well, nothing's been Annie. Uh, Frankly, ever since, nothing's been Annie Hall ever since Annie Hall. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I still think that's his finest hour. I really do. By the way, I also think it's Diane Keaton's finest hour. And you know that I think that she's a decent actress. But sometimes there's always one or two moments in her movies where it's like, that's the worst acting I've ever seen. You know, and, uh, you know, and in, in Annie Hall, there's not a moment I didn't think she was perfect. Woody Allen has just sung the praises of Diane Keaton, saying that she has the best comedic sensibilities of anyone on the planet. And I always enjoyed their collaborations together. I enjoyed Manhattan yeah, Murder Mystery. Yeah. I think they really bring out the best in one another. And I did love her in Something's Gotta Give. Did I tell you that in this interview I listened to, they asked him about her. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you know, I was younger and she was younger, so we could play the love interest. And now we're older and we can't play those. So that's why she's not in any more of my movies. And they can't now because he's not even because in his own old, movies. Because old people don't fall in love, you know? Really? Maybe that's why I like Something's well, Gotta Give so much. Yeah, maybe. Do you know who I kind of have a secret crush on who was in Cafe Society? Don't tell me. 
Steve Carell? No, but I did enjoy him in Cafe Society. Um, and again, that was a part that really could have been just a caricature, mm, but he made it fresh. Wait, I have to namaste myself into finding, <laughs> figuring this out. While lowering Jesse Eisenberg's shoulders, namaste away. I'm going to give you a clue. Okay. He was in House of Cards. House of Cards? Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Who is it? And he was in This Is Where I Leave You. Corey Stoll. Who played what? Remember that alcoholic congressman in House of Cards? In House of Cards, he had no hair. Yes, I remember that. But who yes. who, who did he play in this movie? He was the gangster brother that just kept oh. offing people and dumping them in a hole. Of course you're going to want the... Okay, really? Seriously? I think you need to regroup. I'm not saying that that's the character I go for, but I think he's a very gifted actor. I loved his sister. She cracked me up. I loved the way she talked to her husband. Yeah. Well, that's because you're stupid. You know, like... The husband. I mean, it was terrible. It was, By the way, it was terrible, awful, and nobody should ever speak to anybody that way. But I did laugh out loud, for well, sure. It's the Woody Allen comedic touch. And Anna Camp from The Good Wife played Candy, the novice uh-huh. hooker. Do you remember her on The Good Wife? Juliana Margulies feared that she wanted her job. She was the niece of the you divorce attorney. I don't think I do, because I didn't watch much of The Good Wife after oh, the part well. you made me watch, remember? Parker Posey was great. She's always mm-hmm. great. I'm impressed. How did you feel about the movie as a whole? Uh, not once during the movie did I think, when will this be over? So mm-hmm. that was a good sign. That's a good sign, yep. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Look, I'll always go see a Woody Allen film, mostly. Sometimes <laughs> when they're too over the top. Like, when remember when he had, you know, those people were in the spaceship, and I think they were supposed to be sperm or something, and... I didn't see that one. Oh, everything you um, always want to know about sex, but we're afraid to whatever. ask. Whatever, I didn't one? see it. But, mm-hmm. but when when it's one of these, you know, I'll, you know, I I certainly liked it better than the last three films I saw. I liked it much better than um, the Paris one. I didn't know why Midnight in Paris got such rave reviews. I, I thought, know I didn't like it either. I thought it was pretty fluffy. I liked Owen Wilson, you know, in the casting. Uh, you know, this film opened con, mm-hmm. and they asked him, you know, he, Woody Allen doesn't really go to film festivals, you know? so He went to this one, it, didn't he? Well, he, yeah, this is, he goes, he's been to con for the last four years or so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he said that um, he goes to con because his wife really likes it there, and she really likes to go to the festival there, so that's why he goes. Interesting. I thought that was sort of cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but I thought it was sweet. How did you like Woody Allen as the narrator of this movie without being in it? I like it when he narrates because I I hear his voice anyway, so I like Mm -hmm. it a lot when he does. I do. I think it's really good when he narrates. Which, by the way, is probably why I kept thinking of Brian Beach memoirs. You know, a scene I loved is when Corey Stoll is in prison and he converts to Catholicism because they believe in the afterlife. Oh, and he said he wants to hedge his right? bets. When they hysterical. then cut to Jesse Eisenberg's parents discussing... No, wait, 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 no, no. And, and it's, she doesn't know which is worse, that he converted or that he's being electrocuted. I love it. Exactly. And then her husband yeah. says, well, you know, when the time goes, I won't go willingly, but I'll go. And she's like, what are you going to do? And he goes, I'm going to go under protest. And she says, what are you going to do? Write a letter to the Times? Well, and that's when she says to him, that's because you're stupid. That's why you think that is great. It's great. <laughs> It's very well done. You know, there, well there are done. moments where the script definitely could have been punched up, but there's definitely moments mm-hmm. where it's vintage Woody Allen. Well, I recommend it. I think people should go see it. And if you leave any of the politics out of it, which I intend to do, I think it's one of his better films, I do. Of the 40, it certainly sits in the top 15. How's that? I wonder what the next one up will be about. He's already in pre-production on his 47th <laughs> film. 
Unbelievable. Well, you know what? 47 in that many years, you go. I think it's great. Guess who it's starring? Who? Juno Temple, Kate Winslet, and Justin Timberlake. Huh. Hollister, I thought of you when the movie opened because there was Amazon Studios logo. I know. I was going to bring that up. Amazon's taking over the world. Now, do you remember when they announced last year that Woody Allen would be writing a series for Amazon on TV? Uh, No, I don't remember that. It's called Crisis in Six Scenes. It's going to be a six-part series premiering on Amazon Prime September 30th, Woody Allen's first foray into television. The 1960s. American society is brought to the verge of revolution. And in the midst of this social turmoil is Sidney Munsinger. Just, you know, trim a little and take a little off the top. You know, right right here would be very good. There's not too much on the top to begin with. Yeah, no, I know, but, you know, here. I, I, I took a picture out of a magazine, and I thought, I thought if you could do this, shape it like that. That's James Dean. Well, there you go. So we'll have to keep that in mind. But, you know, I'm thrilled Amazon's getting into the picture-making business. I think they're going to make really good films. Mm-hmm. Okay, Woody Allen, well done again. And Julia Taylor, who has been your casting director forever and ever, I just want to give you a shout-out. You go, Julia. Although, I think you should also give her Logan Lawrence's phone number. Okay, there you go. Ha, ha, ha.